Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. Like most people, I have a healthy appreciation for Batman. My appreciation for him started when one day, out of the blue, my father brought home a gift for me. It was the Batman talking alarm clock. Battery operated, and it actually spoke to you when it would wake you up in the morning. Needless to say, I was in love with it and would set the alarm all the time to go off at weird times so that I could just hear the voice. I think the first week I had it, I might have burned through the battery because I used it that often. I didn't get to see the original Batman TV series when it ran in the 60s, but it would intermittently show up in reruns in my neck of the woods. I remember the first time I saw it, I was very excited because here was my alarm clock right on the television set. It was campy, cartoony. What kid wouldn't love it? Well, there was someone who didn't like it for some reason, and that was my father. He came into the room while I was watching it. He sat down on the couch, started watching it for maybe five minutes. He then got up, walked over to the TV, and turned it off. I looked at him without saying anything, and he said, That's stupid. You're not going to watch this. I was shocked, but he was my father. So, instead of fighting back, I went the completely opposite way and decided that, of course, it was stupid. He was right. He's the guy who got me the alarm clock. He knows Batman. This Batman was stupid. This was a decision that would get me into trouble the very next day at school. I went into school, just like any other day, was hanging out with my friends right out front of the door. Someone brought up Batman, and someone said to me, oh, did you watch it on TV yesterday? And I said, no, Batman is stupid. Now, usually when someone says, no, that's stupid, the other person fires back, no, it is not stupid, or you're stupid. The kid who I was talking to did not take that course of action. Instead, he let his hand do the talking, and he bopped me in the nose. Just boom, right in the beak. It took me completely by surprise, and I dropped like a sack of potatoes. The doors to school opened, and everybody went in, and I was sitting there, nose bloodied, in total disbelief that it happened. I went to the school nurse, and after 10 or 15 minutes of lying on my back, they sent me to class. I did have a pretty nasty bruise under my eyes, and had to contend with this kid at lunchtime again, when he sort of forced me to admit that Batman was awesome. When I went home that night, my mother was upset seeing me injured. My father asked me what had happened, and I said, I got punched in the nose. He said, why? I said, well, I said that Batman on the TV was bad, and this kid punched me. He sort of snorted. He said, did you punch him back? I said, no, I couldn't reach him from the floor. I said that without meaning to be jokey. Everybody laughed, and my family threw that line back to me for quite a while afterwards. I never learned why my father had such an irrational hatred of Batman the TV series, because after the incident at school, I started watching it, and I thought it was delightful. I would eventually get into the comics more, and would go and see the movies, and I still enjoy everything about Batman. But whenever I watch the series, I try to figure out what exactly about it my father didn't like. He didn't own any Batman comics that I could find. Was he secretly a Batman fanatic and only wanted the pure vigilante Batman? I just don't know. It is a mystery, one that probably Batman, with his detective skills, could figure out. 
On today's show, we're going to talk about Batman, the television series that ran in the 1960s. We'll talk about how the show came to be, its production, its cast, its reception, its presence in reruns, and lack of presence in home video, and we'll throw in some surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. On January 12th, 1966, Batman, the TV series, premiered on ABC. It starred Adam West as Batman, Burt Ward as Robin. It was a campy, colorful, over-the-top show whose popularity sometimes defied logic. How did this show get on the air? Well, in the 1960s, Ed Graham Productions got the rights to the comic strip Batman and wanted to do a straightforward adventure show, much like Superman and the Lone Ranger, and it would air on Saturday mornings. In that version, actor Mike Henry, former football player, was going to play Batman, and it would have been a fairly dramatic interpretation, well, more dramatic than what we would wind up with. Henry even shot some publicity photos in the costume, but as we know, he wouldn't go on to play the role. At around this same time, at the Playboy Club in Chicago, they were screening the Batman serials. These were Batman movies that would run in cinemas in the 40s before the movies. These were kind of shorts, and they're called serials because they were serialized, and parts of them would come out every so often, and you could follow the continuing adventures of Batman. They proved to be very popular at the Playboy Club, and at one of these screenings happened to be ABC executive Yale Udoff, who was a big fan of Batman in his childhood. He thought, well, people really seem to appreciate Batman, so he contacted two ABC executives, Harv Bennett and Edgar Sherrick, and told them to try to come up with a primetime series in the style of the TV show The Man from Uncle. Negotiations stalled. And DC Comics, seeing that there was some popularity, reobtained the rights and made a deal for the show with ABC. ABC would have 20th Century Fox produce the series. When the show was at 20th Century Fox, it was given to William Dozier and his production company, Greenway. Now, ABC and 20th Century Fox thought they were going to get this man-from-uncle type show. Fun and hip, but still an adventure show with a certain amount of seriousness to it. Dozier, though, did not like comic books, and he thought that the only way that you could make a show like this was to go with high camp comedy. So their original choice to write the screenplay, Eric Ambler, who was an espionage novelist, dropped out of the project, and a whole new pilot was made. Now, Adam West and Burt Ward would get the role, but they actually shot two screen tests with two Batmans and two Robins. You had West and Ward in one screen test, and the other you had Lyle Wagner and Peter Dial. And as we know, in the end, West and Ward would win the day. 
the show did not test well at ABC, but they still decided to go with the show since they had spent a lot of money on the sets. And we'll talk a little bit about the cost of the sets and how those things affected the show's future when it would be canceled later on. Some interesting facts about the sets. The set for the Batcave was built on the exact spot where the Skull Island Gate was in the original King Kong. If you're a fan of TV shows from that era, you might realize that they have a lot in common. One of those things are the props. And the props used in Batman, the TV series, were also used on Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and the very underrated The Time Tunnel. Today's show is brought to you by a local car dealer. They might not have the Batmobile for sale, but you do need a new car. So go to your local car dealer. Integrity is the key. It's the key to satisfaction. And it fits so well every car we sell. We give integrity by the carload. With every transaction. Love those car dealers. So the show started airing on January 12, 1966, and would run on ABC for 120 episodes. It is a very unique show in that it is one of the few series to be shown on two different nights a week. It would be shown on 7.30s on Wednesdays and Thursdays. It would do that for a season and a half, and then it was moved to once a week, only on Thursdays at 7.30 for its final season. Episodes were usually a two-parter. Wednesday's episode would be a cliffhanger, and it would be resolved in Thursday's episode. If you're watching season three, they still would have these cliffhanger moments, but they were usually at the halfway commercial break. Like many TV shows, the show was formulaic. It would begin usually with a villain committing a crime, and we would cut to Commissioner Gordon's office where they would tell us who the villain responsible was, and then they would push a button on the bat phone. sounded something like this. And then they would cut to Wayne Manor, and Batman and Robin would respond. And then you would hear that very, very famous theme song. When you got to the halfway point of either the story arc, be it two episodes or one episode, Things would cut away, and then you would get a recap of what had happened during part one. Then, of course, things would get resolved. The TV series took comic books and breathed life into them. It tried to express them visually, and did so with great sound effects, onomata poetic words that would flash on the screen when, say, a fight scene was going on. You would see the pow, zonk, mint, bloop, that sort of stuff. You also had these great catchphrases. Robin would say, holy smokes, Batman, or holy fudgesickles, Batman. And he did that again and again and again. It was comforting and predictable, and when you're a kid, delightful. Playing Batman, Bruce Wayne, you had Adam West. William West Anderson, born in 1928. Probably best known for his work on Batman, but has had a bunch of other roles and has done a lot of voice work recently. You might recognize him on Family Guy if you're a fan of that series. According to Wes, because he was so popular in Batman, he was offered the role of James Bond in the movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And he turned it down because he didn't think an American should play the role, which does not make sense to me, but that's what he says. 
the role would go to George Lazenby, who wasn't British. He was Australian. And it didn't work out too well for him either. If I was Adam West, I would have taken the role. To be Batman and James Bond? That's crazy. Burt Ward played Robin, Dick Grayson, the boy wonder. Burt Ward, born 1945, best known for his portrayal of Robin. I was doing some searches on him on YouTube. He also recorded some music that you should track down. You can listen to it online. The fun thing about the music that he recorded, and this was in the mid-60s, was that it was produced by Frank Zappa. So if you're a Frank Zappa fan, you could see his collaboration with the boy Wonder. Alan Napier played Alfred, Batman's loyal butler. Alan William Napier Clavering, English actor, probably best known for his role as Alfred, was also in The Song of Bernadette, and did some work on the TV series Alfred Hitchcock Presents in the 50s. When the TV show came on, Alfred had been killed off in the comic book, but the producers decided they were going to have Alfred, so the comic book brought him back to life, adding yet another confusing page to the Batman mythology. Neil Hamilton played Commissioner Gordon, American actor, passed away in 1984, probably best known for his role in Batman by modern audience, but if you were watching movies in the 20s, he was a leading man in the silent era who successfully made the jump from silent to talkies, so quite an accomplishment. He would go on to make 268 films, no small feat. Stafford Rep played Chief O'Hara. Rep was born in 1918 and passed away in 74. Best known for his role on Batman, but worked a lot in the 50s and 60s, including a brief appearance in the Twilight Zone episode Nick of Time, which had William Shatner in it. Madge Blake played Aunt Harriet Cooper, Dick Grayson's aunt. Madge Blake passed away in 1969. In addition to playing Aunt Harriet in Batman, she was also Margaret Mondello in Leave it to Beaver and Floris McMichael in The Real McCoys. Yvonne Craig played Barbara Gordon Batgirl, Born 1937, ballet dancer and actress, probably best known for her role on Batman or to Star Trek fans as the green Orion slave girl Marta in the episode Whom Gods Destroy. The narration of the show was done by William Dozier. They don't mention this in the show, but he is credited in the soundtrack album as Desmond Doomsday. That is the narrator's name. Dozier, probably best known as the executive producer, narrator of Batman. He also did that on the Green Hornet TV show. Another important member of the cast was the Batmobile, which was a customized 1955 Lincoln Futura. According to people who worked on the TV series, there were five Batmobiles made for the 1966 to 1968 run of the series. The scene of the Batmobile leaving the Batcave was filmed in the Hollywood Hills at Bronson Cavern. The problem is is that the cave entrance is tiny and there's not a lot of clearance for the Batmobile. So to keep the fenders from getting ripped off, they moved out very slowly and then later sped up the film to give the illusion of speed. If you watch Batman, you'll notice that they like to buckle up and that is because the National Safety Council brought up the idea of safety when using the Batmobile. Times they were changing and Batman was on the cutting edge of automobile safety. Part of the big fun of Batman were the villains, and the villains are a who's who of wonderful actors, and it seemed like it was a really fun show to be working on as a villain, because you could chew through scenery. Playing the Penguin, you had Burgess Meredith. Playing Bookworm, you had Roddy McDowell. Catwoman was played by both Bertha Kitt in Season 3 and Julie Newmar in Seasons 1 and 2. 
George Sanders and Otto Preminger played Dr. Freeze. Cesar Romero, of course, played the Joker. Vincent Price played Egghead, hilarious villain. And of course, my favorite was Frank Gorshin, who played the Riddler in seasons one and three. In season two, he was played by John Astin. Personally, I think that Gorshin should have played the Joker as he played the Riddler, because there's something genuinely creepy about the Riddler. Not that the Joker with that weird makeup over his mustache isn't unusual, but Gorshin really delivers again and again. Riddle me this, retroist. How much dirt is in a hole three acres square and 200 feet deep? Answer, none, because it's a hole. (laughs) Now with a little bit more about one of the talents that made this TV show great is Vic Sage with another Why Should I Know This Person. Hi, friends. Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this time we were taking a look at the career of Frank Gorshin. Frank John Gorshin Jr. was born on April 5, 1933 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. At the age of 15, Frank took a part-time job at the Sheridan Square Theater as an usher. As he went about his duties, he would watch the actors on the silver screen and memorize their mannerisms and formed an impressionist act. While still in high school, he secured the prize in a Pittsburgh talent contest in 1951, a one-week paying job at Jackie Heller's New York nightclub, The Carousel. Frank was going to decline the engagement as personal tragedy had entered his life two nights previous when his 15-year-old brother had been hit and killed by a car. His parents, however, insisted he take the job. After graduating from high school, he attended the Carnegie Tech School of Drama in Pittsburgh where he appeared in local plays and worked the nightclubs. In 1953, Gorshin was drafted into the Army and found himself posted in Germany as an entertainer attached to special services. By the way, Frank's entire Army service records, like my own grandfather's, was destroyed in the 1973 National Archives fire. In 1956, Frank landed his first theatrical role in The Proud and Profane, and for the next few years he appeared in various TV shows and garnered small parts in films like Runaway Daughters, The True Story of Jesse James, and Invasion of the Saucer Men. He could have landed a starring role in 1958's Run Silent, Run Deep with Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster, but fate had other plans. He was visiting his parents in Pittsburgh when his agent phoned him and asked him to rush back to L.A. for a screen test. Instead of flying back, he decided to drive his car, all 39 consecutive hours. He fell asleep at the wheel, crashed, and suffered a fractured skull and woke up in the hospital four days later. During this time, an L.A. newspaper reported he'd been killed in the crash, and the part went to Don Rickles. Frank was very prominent in TV throughout his life. Just a few of what ended up being over 40 appearances are The Untouchables, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Combat, The Munsters, Star Trek, Hawaii Five-O, SWAT, Charlie's Angels, Buck Rogers, The Fall Guy, and Monsters. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. So as I mentioned, William Dozier also did the narration for The Green Hornet. There's actually a crossover with The Green Hornet where Van Williams and Bruce Lee team up with the dynamic duo in an episode. They also did a window cameo in another. The show was very popular and charted well in the Nielsen ratings even when it was running twice a week. But as the third season rolled in, the show was getting stale and people weren't watching it like they used to. 
So for the fourth season, ABC was thinking that they would eliminate Robin and Chief O'Hara and then make Batgirl Batman's full-time partner. But both Dozier and Adam West were against the idea. And since you needed Batman to be in Batman, ABC decided to pull the plug on the show. 20th Century Fox tried to find a new home for it. Didn't seem like anybody was going to pick it up. So they demolished the set. And NBC comes to them and says, okay, we'll pick it up and we'll run the show for a fourth season. And we'll even show it twice a week. But the sets were already gone. It would cost $800,000 to rebuild them. NBC did not want to take that sort of risk. That is the theme to Batman. It was composed by Neil Hefty. The cries of Batman that you hear, which sort of sound like horns, is a chorus of eight people. There's sort of this popular myth that it is a horn section blurting Batman, sort of. But in an interview, Hefty dismissed that. Hefty was born in 1922, passed away in 2008. Jazz trumpeter, composer, arranger. He was not the only person who worked on music for Batman. You also had Nelson Riddle and Billy May. Nelson Riddle, tremendous talent, worked with some of the biggest names in music at the time. Riddle would do the first two seasons of the show, and Billy May did the third. If you're a fan of Riddle's music, there was a soundtrack release in the 60s of Riddle's music, but unfortunately they have clips from the show and sound effects over it, so you can't hear the pureness of the music. Supposedly there's been some deals with Warner Brothers that's going to allow them to release stuff from the 60s TV series this year. We could see all sorts of new Batman stuff. And we'll talk a little bit about the rights to Batman later. In 1966, Batman was also released in movie form. It was released by 20th Century Fox, starred Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin, and included almost everyone from the original TV cast, except for Julie Newmar, who did not return as Catwoman. William Dozier wanted to make a big screen film to create buzz for the TV series. He thought that if he could have the movie in theaters, while they were filming, people would start talking about it, and then when the show premiered, they would be running to their television sets. Unfortunately, 20th Century Fox did not want to take the risk of shooting the film, only wanted the TV series, so it was delayed until the end of the first season, and it would open in the summer of 1966, between the first and second seasons of the TV series. Did pretty well at the box office, nothing awesome. It had three releases on VHS in 85, 89, and 94, always a popular title at the video store I worked at. In 2001, it was released on DVD, and then in 2008, it was re-released on DVD and Blu-ray. Because the TV show was doing really well, in 1966, new product started to show up on store shelves, which just helped catapult Batman higher into the icon stratosphere. You had games and models, toys, action figures, coloring books, you name it. I remember as a kid going to garage sales and being able to pick up this stuff in rough condition pretty cheap. And I often did. I would pay a quarter, 50 cents for kind of busted looking stuff, bring it home and try to play with it until it broke fully. Those were the days. After these messages, we'll be right back. Holy dark. Damn it. I'm not just pussyfooting around this time, Batman. <laughs> we 
week after week, the Cape Crusader copes with the tricky traps of vicious villains. Will the time arrive when the Cape crime fighters come too close to the jaws of death? Holy metronome! What a fate! Punched a player piano roll. Meet their wild, weird new adversaries, the archest criminals of all time. deserted warehouse on the outskirts of town. And a ticking bomb spells trouble for Batman and Robin. Holy breaking and entering, it's Batgirl. Quick, Batgirl, untie us before it's too late. It's already too late. I've worked for you a long time, and I'm paid less than Robin. Holy discontent. Same job, same employer means equal pay for men and women. No time for jokes, Batgirl. It's no joke. It's the federal equal pay law. Holy act of Congress. Can we talk about this later? Will Batgirl save the dynamic duo? Will she get equal pay? Tune in tomorrow or contact the Wage and Hour Division listed in your phone book under the U.S. Department of Labor. And now, back to the show. Now, you might be saying, I'd love this Batman and I can catch it on TV. Why don't I just own it on home video? That is a great question and one that seems to be very complicated. I've been trying to read up as to why the show won't be released. And everybody seems to have a different opinion about how they handled the legal issues, about hiring people or building the sets. And because of one of these reasons or all of these reasons, Batman still has not gotten a home video release in any form. So if you want to watch it, look for it on TV and try to record it, DVR it, save those copies if you want. The show ended on March 14, 1968, after 120 episodes, and it would be years until we would have a Batman movie. In the meantime, Ward and West would be recruited for a new Batman in 1977, Filmation's animated series, The New Adventures of Batman. There are also two Legends of Superhero specials by Hanna-Barbera that have Adam West, Burt Ward, and Frank Gorshin in them. You can see some of them online, or you can go out and buy them. It's great campy stuff, worth picking up. If you're a game show fan, a lot of the cast members were brought in to play Family Feud in the 1980s. So if you have the game show network, keep watching those specials when they have celebrity stuff, and you might catch the cast members of Batman playing. I loved when they used to do that on game shows. I can't talk enough about my disbelief that a show like this is still not available on home video. Still, it is broadcast on television, so check your local listing, see if you can find it if you have not yet been exposed to it. Try and enjoy it. Don't be too critical. Certainly, don't tell your kids that it's horrible, or they might go into school aping you and then get socked in the nose. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. You can find Vic Sage on the Retroist all the time. If you have any feedback for him, though, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend.
What is the beginning of eternity, the end of time and space, the beginning of every end, and the end of every race? Answer. The letter E. <laughs> this has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.